Welcome to episode number 25 of the Free Your Inner Guru podcast. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. The core value of this podcast is that everything you need is inside of you. Your job is to find it and bring it into the world. When you free your inner guru, you become the leader you want to see in the world. Our guest in this episode is Jenna Smith. Jenna is an ontological coach and shamanic intuitive. Jenna and I explore shamanism and different aspects of living from the heart. If you're curious about the connection between heart-centered living and self-care, and you want to take steps to strengthen your connection with your inner guru, this conversation is for you. So sit back or sit up if you're driving and enjoy as we explore a new paradigm for living that starts with going within. Welcome to this week's episode of Free Your Inner Guru. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. Today, I'm pleased to welcome a very special guest. Jenna Smith is an ontological coach, spiritual psychotherapist, and shamanic intuitive. She is the creator of the You Are the Manual program. Jenna runs an international business coaching, counseling, and she also runs shamanic retreats. Her mission is to reconnect people to their unshakable center where all authentic knowing lives. Through understanding and integrating how to use our mind, body, heart, and spirit intelligence systems, we can get out of the muck and confusion into our truth, purpose, power, and joy. And by doing that, we come home to who we really are. Jenna, welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Jenna, getting out of the muck of confusion... (laughs) It's a very tall order, and I'm sure we're going to explore and share some strategies on on how to do that and how to identify some of our muck and confusion and tap into our inner wisdom, which is part of the mandate of this podcast. But before we dive in, I'm so curious, how did you get on this path? Well, it started when I was six. I would watch the Humane Society videos and I would just watch the world and none of it made sense to me. I would go to school and the disconnect between what people would say and what I was feeling from them, because I've always been an empath, was a disconnect. And I was just like, what is going on? So from a very early age, the world didn't make sense to me. And I think that catalyzed me wanting to make sense of being a human, make sense of why we act the way we act and, and how we can optimize who we are on the planet. And now it's very simplified into how can we be here and enjoy who we are and do that as a, as a means of success in the world. So it's, it got really complicated and now it's very simple. So take us through that process a little bit, how it got super complicated, because I think a lot of us live complicated lives. Yeah. And we feel like um, there's really no way to change that. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, um, well, you know, I had some pretty intense things happen. My dad went to jail when I was 11 and my brother was a drug dealer and my mom had chronic pain. So those were all notable challenges. And then I had chronic pain from a car accident that then we both were in. So then I was physically in pain, which was the first breadcrumb of my path where I was in physical pain and the doctors basically are saying, oh yeah, this is just how your body's going to be now. I didn't have any stage four, stage um, three sleep to regenerate my body at the time. And they said, well, yeah, you're just going to have injuries and we'll just deal with it. And something in me said, 
I don't think so. I'm 16. You know, it, it, I just don't think so. Um, moving along that met, and then I met somebody who did something called Reiki and now Reiki's everywhere. But at the time I was 16, I'm 35 now. That's, you know, over 15 years ago. Um, then somebody said the name Reiki, the word Reiki. And then I, somebody else in my life, I went to a music store and went and talked to my friend and he's like, Oh, I'm doing my Reiki level one this week. And I thought, what is this word? And I said, I'm coming, you know, I'm 16. <laughs> I don't know what this thing is, but I was in. And then she, she looked right through my 16 year old, you know, I've got it all together. Um, you know, no one can see past me. Um, she basically looked right through me and said, I can help you, you know, and I felt really seen and really weirded out by that, to be honest. Like, what do you mean? Cause it's so much shame about so many layers. And at the same time, it felt very relieving. So I worked with her as my first healer, very young age, went to university for singing uh, and wanted to be a professional singer. Um, and so it's really funny. I had these two, two roads going at the same time. The healing, healing road and spirituality and self-development road was, was on full tilt all the time. And then the, I'm going to be the next Celine Dion road was going to York University, getting a production deal, and I'm in Canada so production deal, you just get more money when you sell the albums. When the singing didn't work out, <laughs> it's like, oh, that was my, all of my eggs were in that basket. I'm going to be the next Celine Dion period. So I don't need a retirement fund. This is a sure thing. When that didn't happen and I had $30,000 in student debt, that was my next, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what reality hit me in the face. And Laura, we were talking about practicality in the spiritual yes. and this is where I was way pie in the sky and building fantasies on no foundation you know um so all to say then then my other life started to weave in the idea of being a healer for money being a psychotherapist came up oh what if I was a psychotherapist how much money does that make all of these types of things started to come up and so I began my training from 25 to 30 uh no probably more so 22 and began a life of doing transformation work for other people. But I would say all of my 20s, it was me trying to transform myself that ultimately brought me to all of the courses and everything. Obviously, I wanted to do well by my clients, but I just knew there was another way and I didn't know what it was yet. Mm. So each little thing, psychotherapy degree, shamanic work made sense to me. Being in nature made sense to me. I, I grew up Catholic so all of the dogma and all of that kind of guilty, shamey stuff that made no sense, it had no spirit in it, that was lost on me. And then shamanism is just seeing in the dark. That's, the, that's actually what it means. Shaman means to see in the dark. And it's just bringing that energy world into this practical world. That made perfect sense to me that spirit is everywhere, in everything, always accessible, no matter what. That made sense to me. So those things all started to converge. And so the complications started to lessen and the wisdom started to rise up. And, you know, then eventually I was able to teach this to other people. Listening to you talk about shamanism reminds me of the first time that we met in the summer at an event in Toronto. And uh, we hit it off just fabulously. And we got into what, uh, 
how you thought you knew me from somewhere. And I had known that I, I hadn't met you because I'd lived away from Toronto for a very long time. And it was the first time it just never occurred to me that you, you were recognizing me from enlighten us, which you had just watched. And it took us some time to get to that. And we both took a step back and we were like, Whoa. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause that was such a catalyst movie for me on the lack of integrity of healers and taking things like indigenous wisdom, but not bringing the indigenous healers. And so many things about that activated me. And then to have you be right in front of me in Toronto is, such, of course, to me, that's an, of course, right. That's what we're talking about here like living with that flow and that intelligence. And then here we are meeting. And my, um, what brought you to me was on my name tag. We were at an Archangel party and it said being energy and spirituality or something like that. And you're like, being energy, I need to talk to you. And then we started talking. So yes, that was a moment that was so interesting. And well, and, and on my name tag as my superpower was strategy, which sounds so incredibly business oriented and so forth. But the strategy that I do is very, you know, incorporates a lot of these things, but I'll share with the listener that when I, when Jenna and I met like that, it really, it knocked me back a step or two, not just because it was just strange and new for me to be recognized from, you know, from something like that. Cause it just wasn't in my consciousness that I'd be talking to someone who just had seen me on Netflix the night before or a couple nights mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just that it was as we got deeper into our conversation and, and talking about, um, being, uh, running shamanic retreats and being a shamanic intuitive, I had to then proceed with caution because of my own experience. And so I became very um, hesitant and, but then, you know, went through a process of exploring with you what shamanism is at its core. And I would love for you to share more with, with us uh, yeah. So, and there is, there was for the longest time an association with the um, shamanism being voodoo, black magic, um, and and even voodoo could be highly misunderstood. And I can't speak to that. But essentially, it's our connection to the earth, to Mother Earth, to the the, the core creator of who we are and everything that we have on this planet, and essentially healing that wound, in my opinion, heals that core level feeling of uh, not knowing where you fit in, not knowing where you belong, feeling alone, anxious. I think what we are seeking is that connection to the earth. So the indigenous cultures have never lost that. We lost it in our Western culture and we got very heady and very strategy, strategy without the being And all of the intersections of my training, spiritual psychotherapy, ontological coaching, and you wanted to talk about that, but that's the study of being, human beings and their relationship to reality. And then the um, shamanic work of connecting with nature and connecting to talk about free your inner guru, to the spirit and our inner spirit cell phone, so to speak, connecting to our heart, connecting to our energy, feeling our wisdom self at the core of who we are is part of shamanism. 
And how do you relate that to somebody who might be, because um, there might be one or two of us out there who are caught up in our head and mm-hmm. feeling disconnected. How does shamanism, one yeah, one or two, <laughs> how does shamanism help to bring that, bring us into our power in that way? Well, because you can't get there from your head. So it it's like those Zen sayings that the whole point of saying them is that they're like, what? That, that makes no sense. And, and then it pops us out of our head because we have to go into another knowing in order to access that wisdom. So by getting into our body, which means most people aren't in their body. And when I say getting into our body, a lot of people don't know what that means. It, it's, it's like, is your mind going faster than your ability to notice your breath is a good way to know if you're in your body. Because I can be aware of my thoughts and be breathing and kind of be aware of the whole synergy of my, my presence in this moment. Not all the time, not when I'm driving for sure. But being in our head is only one form of intelligence, only one form of our existence. It's amazing, but it's not all. Shamanism, you can't get that access to spirit through the logical mind. It, it just, it doesn't equate it. It's like radio frequencies. So through drumming and through walking on the earth and through noticing nature, and as we mentioned, you know, I do these retreats on my house and at my house and it's in nature. People just slowly unravel and start to see the intelligence around them and see the symbolism and, and spirituality is symbol and, um, you know, you see repetition and you'll just have random insight that you don't have to know the answer to that's and so none of that's logical none of that's in our head and then that brings us to more knowing the more that we access that place and give ourselves permission to get into the body and to slow it down and to be in more of that spirit being state the mind actually works better and that's where our connection to our intuition yes absolutely easier to access absolutely absolutely what you were describing there is pretty much my experience when I first got into the self-development work or world is where I, I realized that I was, and I had help realizing it because you don't realize it on your own. When you're up in your oh, head, yeah. you're up in your head. Yeah. You know, you're thinking your way in and out of things constantly, past, present, future, and, you know, bringing the past forward to now and, and, and then anticipating all the different outcomes. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And, and I actually, I have a, a, a role in my life now as, as a stepmother to a, a young man who many of our conversations are all about keeping it in the present. Because, you know, as being a young man, I know his, his brain is not fully, you know, fully developed mm-hmm. and he's learning from experience and, and then, it's easy for me now to be able to see when he's up and out of his body in a sense, right. and his mind is racing, 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 racing. Mm-hmm. And then when you can, and this happens with my, with clients as well, but it just seems that this is a, a really great example for right now is when you can slow him down, then that's where solutions start to come forward. Yeah. That's where, you know, connection and relationship happens and you, and then you can get a glimpse of the man that he is becoming 
Yeah, because that's his essence. Like when when uh, I worked with an African shaman named Mandaza, and he, or it wasn't him who said it, but there's an African saying uh, that when you're when you stop singing and dancing, your spirit has left. And we have stopped singing and dancing a lot in life. It's getting stuff done, and the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And that essence self that was then present in him because he slowed down is all the answers right there. So we can freak out and unplug from wisdom and spin around, or we can plug back in. I mean, that's the simplicity part that I found out. Oh, there's a place where I can always be connected and know what I need to know when I need to know it, how to do it. And that the resources will come when I need them. I mean, holy crap, that was huge. That was such a game changer for me. Yeah, me too. And it, and it's something that uh, it, it's something that I'm incredibly grateful for in in and in and around all of the other challenges of and and everybody's got a story right yep. my challenge or, or greatest challenge just happened to be centered around all of this stuff so it's taken a lot of unraveling to be able to even hold this conversation mm-hmm. uh, um, I was on your website a little bit earlier today and I came across a recent uh, blog post that you had posted about heart-centered living. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would be a wonderful thing to speak about today because I think there's a lot of misconception and I think heart-centered this, heart-centered that is, yep. is used out there. It's like the, the next authentic, you know, it's a marketing tagline. Yep. It's it, very much so. And, uh, I believe it was on the last podcast, uh, episode 24, where I got into a little bit about how I define heart-centered living. Oh, so I, yeah. yeah. So I'd love to hear, and then I'll try, I'll chime in too. So when somebody is saying, uh, or when you're saying to somebody, you've got to live from the heart or you've got to become heart-centered, what does that mean to you? To me, it is in the being and then the doing comes from the being. And what I mean by that is the heart is a a space of living that is fundamentally different from mind-dominant living. And I have two blog posts about that, mind-dominant living and heart-centered living. And so the mind-dominance is the next thing, next thing, next thing, rehashing the past. Oh, what about this? What about that? Heart has space. There is space. And in that space, knowing bubbles up. What that practically means is, there's, it's like the, it's like the trunk of a tree. It's like we're living from that rooted centered place. And then we can expand up and act as the branches. So from the, the culture of the yoga and all of these things that are rising up now, which are great. There's a lot of people trying to get to the heart from the mind and speaking a good speak and, you know, off the mat, on the mat, I'm using essential oils. So now I'm in the heart, but here's the kicker. Getting into the heart has all of your emotions in it. So if you haven't been in your body and you haven't been in your heart, meditation will not be fun. You're going to psychically want to run away from yourself and you won't want to do it. So you will find all of these heart-centered so-called things to do that sound good, but do you feel peace Probably not because you're still chasing around. When you get into the body and you know, okay, I'm going to be with this feeling. I'm going to be with this 
sort of pressure in my chest because we think it's wrong to feel bad feelings. That's my big beef is bad feelings. Oh, law of attraction. And, you know, don't, don't think that cancel, cancel. And feelings are intelligence. So heart-centered living is accepting the spectrum of our human emotions so much so that we can allow them to move through us in order to be what they call the hollow bone, in order to allow things to move in the moment as we need it. That sounds like a lot, but that's where anyone could get to if they start doing it because it's who we are. It's how we're built. So within this conversation, I, I think there's another conversation about the difference between feeling in the body and emotion. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, and when, uh, when I was getting into my view on heart-centric, what I was saying for me, and this comes straight out of being the thinker, but how I, I understand that is that the heart is, is a metaphor for the body because the feelings are in the body. Mm-hmm. And having and working to strengthen that connection between your awareness, your conscious awareness, and all of the the um, unconscious wisdom of the body. Like yeah. when my when my back gets up, or when I'm having a conversation and it's not feeling right in my body, mm-hmm. you know, and knowing when to um, to to recognize that and realize that I don't logically understand what's wrong here. But this is my signal to set a boundary. Yep. And being able to process that information and then allow the understanding to come later. Yeah, absolutely. And so the body is the vehicle for all of this. And when I say the mind, body, heart, spirit, intelligence systems, that's what I mean. Your instincts and your body have intelligence all over it as well. I see the heart center in particular as the hub, the hub of that electromagnetic uh, wisdom that doesn't need the convincing or the logistics or the stats. It's, it just is, it has knowing. And that's also called feminine energy. It's the feminine knowing. And there's a lot of misunderstanding that feminine energy is somehow having to do with women. We all have masculine and feminine energy, but the feminine energy is the intuition and the knowing and the embodiment and the nourishment and the feeling good and the joy and the pleasure. And a lot of, again, things that have been shut down, and not celebrated or acknowledged as so-called productive in our culture. But I would much rather have a connected, joyful life than be really productive. That's what I realized in my 20s. Thank God I learned it in my 20s because I was 24 and I'd worked so hard to get all these things that I wanted to get. I'd gotten really good shape and I had a record deal and I was with this football player boyfriend and oh, he like absolutely loved him at the time. So I was kind of dismissing him by saying that. But had all of these checkmark things no satisfaction, no joy, constantly afraid that I'm going to lose it all. And if I lose it all, I'm going to lose everything. It was just, what's the point if that's what winning is? That, that's, that was just another moment where that does not make sense to me. And, and in its own way, it is very much ticking all the boxes does come yeah. from a more masculine um, energy cycle yeah. that we're taught and, uh, and, were, is engendered in all of us because it, it is ostensibly the success formula, the traditional success formula for this world that mm-hmm. we're living in. Mm-hmm. But as we're seeing, there's a lot of feminine energy getting per, very perturbed right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very interesting to watch as, as 
more and more women are having a voice over, over things that they have had to either tolerate, persevere, or combat in a very male-dominated um, yeah, and had no choice at most, like to be in business, you have to be this way. I mean, that was just what was. There's, so there's more oh, choices now. They're starting and, to arise. Absolutely. I think back a lot of the times to the years that I worked in the automotive industry, which mm. it's tough to find a more male dominated um, industry. However, you know, I certainly had my, my rules of conduct and walls and boundaries up high, high, high. But I was also extremely fortunate in that when it worked for one of my clients, they were in order to be able to take, you know, advice and counsel from a young woman at that time, right there, that set them apart as, as, you know, almost outliers in their industry and very, very aware, interested and excellent business people. Mm-hmm. which I think it's so important to, to realize. And I see this in my coaching where when you can tap into both the, you know, quote unquote feminine and masculine side. Yes. They're very, very powerful. Yes. Uh, both. Often, often what we see is that people who are leading with um, their, their more masculine energy and they're in, up in their heads and go, go, go. That's what we see a lot of, but there's also the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, super flighty and not getting anything done. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. I came from the really woo-woo end of things, learning spiritual psychotherapy and shamanism and energy work. And that is where the people rebel against the societal norm and rebel against the pushing in a way that also isn't healthy. So these are the unhealthy feminine and the unhealthy masculine. The unhealthy masculine is that sort of sociopathic corporate archetype of just like, you know, killing baby animals in order to get a profit and just not having any regard for human life whatsoever. And then the flip side of the unhealthy feminine is not having enough of the, the being here. We are human beings. We have this body. We have this mind. We have action. We can create. We're, we have godly, creative, mega awesome energy to create here and, and experience life, you know? So the, the unhealthy feminine would definitely be, um, the sort of, oh, I don't feel like it. It's almost like, it's like, I don't feel like it, or I don't know. And then nothing happens. And then their own gifts and their own spirit isn't fully realized either. And I see that happen a lot, that that fear of getting into this masculine world and getting things done and fear of disappointment, fear of failure. It's, it's okay, but do something. Cause there's, cause all of us have something in us that we want to create and experience. And, and putting action to that is somehow like, it's hard, you know, you get resistance. It's, it's a whole thing, but it's also incredibly satisfying. And when putting action to that is also the litmus test for whether or not it is something that either other people need or want, or actually brings you joy. Totally. You know, thinking about something, dreaming about something, and then letting it just stay in that state not only it's, it's, it's not taking responsibility for what you have the potential to create, but it's also scary because that's also where resistance comes in. And anyone who, um, who might, may or may not be surprised, like the entrepreneurial journey, because a lot of people who put action to what their desires are do eventually, if not from the beginning, take the entrepreneurial journey, which mm-hmm. is, a, is, it's a self-development journey. It's a personal growth journey. It is a spiritual journey. Yep. 
And it's a lot easier if you take it on that way because your business will reflect you. And from my psychotherapy roots, you know, the projections, your um, shadow parts, the parts that you've denied will show up in your business. If they don't show up in your marriage and they don't show up in your children, they're going to show up in your business for sure. (laughs) And so your clients, even your computer, even all, all aspects of it, you have to face you in every possible way. Yeah. And if, and if you're not willing to do the work, which a lot of people, I know myself, I resisted greatly. Um, but I had that experience where, where up until, um, October, 2009 with that sweat lodge tragedy, business was easy for me. Money was easy for me. It was after the trauma and after the shame that it became very hard, not my existing business. It continued to um, thrive and, and, and support and grow. But the new business that my husband and I created, Mm. every single thing was harder than it should be. And there was no logical, um, there was no reason for it. And it was persistent, Mm. you know, so, having slogged it out like that for the first time in the wake of that very difficult personal experience, it really brought me around to when I returned to coaching and realizing this shit is real. Pardon my language. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you know, it was one thing to sit there and go, Oh, I need better relationships and Oh, this and that. But when it got into struggle in business, that's where a lot of people pay attention it really is because it's the practicality of hand to mouth, you mm-hmm. know, and money as a result, not as a, a means to an end and really understanding what the business is intended to do in your life. Yeah. And having it serve you, you know, I had that after different tragedy, uh, tragedy, my father committed suicide in 2011 and I was right in the middle of the, like, on my game, like just started my ontological coaching business. All of the pieces had come together. Singing started to come up again. I was in super good shape. It was just, everything was working. And then that happens. And it's like, no, 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 I can do this. I can do this. And so I played that game for about a year. I'm trying to generate when I had nothing to generate. So energy goes where it's needed. I needed to heal. And there was no extra energy to generate a business. Now, I believe that spirit and the earth and all of these elements are our original parent. And so I was provided for by just the right amount of clients at the right time and ones I could handle. And that, that was my norm. But I had to stop after the year and just go, okay, whoa, this is what's real here what's really going on is this happened and there's real feelings and there's real difficulty here. And that's a different pace. It's a different pace. What if I accept this pace and how can I thrive in this pace? And as that started to be how I operated, everything got easier, the success came. And so when we push and we put band-aids over bullet holes and we just keep trying it's not going to work. And I mean, hello, wake up call. <laughs> like, I mean, how much longer do you want to struggle for really? Well, exactly. Like how it's the whole forcing and powering through. And uh, if people have been listening to the show for any length of time, they've heard me address that, you know, some of these traditional, very um, male oriented 
traditional self-help is all about the whole just do it, power through, force it. And you know what? If that gets your butt up off the couch, then that's what you need or or gets you out of the thinking and dreaming stage. That's exactly the right thing at the right time. But it's not sustainable over a lifetime. Rhythm. Nature's rhythm. We're part of nature. Rhythm. You know, sometimes you need to act. You need to spring forward. Sometimes it's, you know you need to do a winter and you need to go within and, and we want just spring and summer all the time. It's very irrational, but that's what people seem to think is success. Well, and that's, what's being portrayed as success, you know, in so on so many different channels and ways that we receive information too. There's no, to me, even though it's relatively new social media, and our, and the, um, you know, and the phones and I'm by new, I mean, you know, not, I wasn't in, born in business 10 years ago, you know, yeah. back 25 years ago when I entered the business world, um, none of these things were there. How you received your advertising and your information was much simpler, but now we're bombarded with all of the, this curated, um, messages of obviously hope and powerful stuff, but at some point we have to talk about some real stuff. Yeah. And it's the highlight reel. And I do find because you, we both started in the coaching industry. I mean, my training finished in 2010. So I, I, I was in Canada. I had no idea how big this was going to get. I was just doing what was in front of me and following again, that heart space didn't make any sense, but it made the most sense because it was what was in front of me. And it blew up, blew up. And so we're still even dealing with the coaching industry if we're going to talk about just that. And now all of these people have built their own prisons. They have so many things to keep going. They have other people to pay in their business. And what I mean by their prison is like, they can't get out. They, they have six employees and they have to pay them in order to keep everything looking the way it needs to look and be on for the next stage appearance and be on for the next thing. I mean they are falling apart now and they're starting to get really real and saying, actually, you know what? I, I need to do something else here because this isn't living from my heart. This isn't living from my own creation. I've created a job. Yeah. And it just goes to, to show you that we can make quote unquote work out of anything. Totally, and by work, right? I mean a job or something arduous or hard and unsustainable about everything, yeah. which is why taking a constant look at managing your energy and being connected to that inner voice and Mm -hmm. inner wisdom so that that the outside pressures of either needing sustained financial levels, not that money isn't important, it's extremely important, but there'd be no confusion about that, but it's not the primary driver of an integrated, sustainable business. Yeah. And in your life. So we were talking about tools to get out of muck and tools to what I do see more entrepreneurs more so than regular corporate business doing things like the the morning meditations as a way of their strategy like you do and taking these things and, and even shamanism has become very successful now in some circles because people want that tuned in where's the energy going where, where do I need to put my doing into, into place? Okay. And then the doings in align with the energy. Okay. Then you're going to get the best results. So enough people have gone through what I've gone through and gone through what you've gone through where it's just like trudging through actual like knee deep, hip deep muck 
hoping it'll just get better. And then now they're going, no, wait a second. I don't want to do that. What like they'll check in first and, and access these wisdom centers that we have lost in order to apply that to business. And that's very exciting. It is exciting, especially as more and more people emerge into positions of leadership. Yes. The leaders, especially because everything uh, emanates out from a leader and, and people follow suit. So if a leader, and that's my area of expertise right now, is working with leaders and tuning them up to these intelligence systems. And it just excites me because the ripple effect is so profound. And that occurred to me as a healer. I didn't want to heal one person at a time on a healing table. I mean, that didn't make no sense to me either. And it's just like, no, 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 bigger, bigger, bigger. And it's like, if I can, if I can access and help tune up the people speaking to hundreds of thousands of people, influencing change, you know, having the funds to actually make change. And they come from their center, they're satisfied, they're feeling better. And that's the payoff is it's not just getting good things done. It's not just doing good in the world. It's actually you feeling good, feeling satisfied while you do things. That it's, it's so different. And, and more and more people are getting out of board with this. And they're, and they're starting to understand I, that in business, um, business and corporations are needing to step up and take some responsibility for the world at large mm-hmm. to fill a, very, a gaping wound. Um, and so yeah. responsible yeah. leadership and creating environments where people can thrive and so that they're not being one person yeah. in the home and one person at work. Yes. Yeah. People are really getting sick of getting stuff done and they really do want a life worth living and a life they don't have to escape from or numb out from. And I I wanted to teach the heart. Did you want to do the heart breathing on the call? Yes. I'd love to have you explain to us what the heart breathing is. Great. Okay. Such a quick tool. Again, we're busy people. So in under two minutes, you can access your heart center and start to develop this muscle of connecting your mind and your heart and getting into your body. So for anyone listening, I'm just going to give you the quick nuts and bolts. And if you want to do it for longer, we'll do it after the call. But essentially you place your hand on your heart center, which is in the front of your chest at your breastbone. You feel your hand on that space. So you physically feel, bring your attention to that. Take a deep breath. Feel your hand on the heart center and then just continue to breathe and feel that space under your hand. And whenever your mind's like, it's okay. Bring your attention back to feeling that space under your hand. And I guarantee you, you do this two minutes a day for anywhere from two weeks to six weeks, you'll start to see the heart center start to work with you. When I, um, I was actually coincidentally just doing that very thing this afternoon because I had a crazy day running around and I'm like getting ready to do this interview and in order to interview well I have to slow it down mm-hmm. and so I was doing this and what I noticed is that um it is it's it became or it is diaphragmatic breathing where yeah. you can increasingly expand and create a bigger space for your breath. But initially, and I get this when I'm really wound up, there's a, there's quite a lot of tightness and mm-hmm. it feels weird and it feels funny, mm-hmm. but that's actually a good thing to be able to feel that. Yeah. Just feel it. No, no judgment, no judgment, feeling that, feeling the space under my hand and then letting your body start to take over. Your body knows how to breathe. 
And then normally people do a big sigh because they've just sort of plugged back in. And then, and then you can really start to move some energy and get really great insight, have really great ideas of what to do next, know what to make for dinner. It's so practical. It's actually, this spiritual stuff is so practical when we do it <laughs> I was just thinking that in order for spiritual stuff to be practical you actually have to practically do it yes you do <laughs> you do um so this is a perfect segue into uh one of my favorite topics which is the importance of self-care mm-hmm. um especially for people who are perpetually busy or at particularly busy times of year Talk to us about the connection between self-care and the inner wisdom and that mind, body, heart, spirit system. Well, because it's the vehicle with which we live life through, specifically our body, when we think of self-care, a lot of the attention is body-centered. And whenever I say, how's your self-care routine to new people? Oh, well, I eat this and you know what? It's riddled with guilt and I should, and I don't. And that's their self-care routine is like knowing all the things they should do and making themselves wrong for not doing them. I mean, it's, that's not what we're talking about here. It's eating in a way that you become almost like an anthropologist in your own life. You're just like, Oh, what, what does the Jenna creature need to really succeed here? What, what actually feeds her? What nourishes her? How, what rhythm of life works for her? And so self-care is an opportunity to get conscious in very practical ways. What am I eating? Does this feel good in my body? Do I have energy afterwards? Things like that. Knowing when you're thirsty, you know? So I would say the beginning of self-care is getting into your body and making that matter making it a priority. I have a checklist that I use and anyone can make a checklist. You just write down the things you're going to do daily and make a check or not. And it's not about doing it or not. It's about consciously deciding what's important to you. And the self-care is your self-relationship to yourself. It's, It's where you decide I matter. So that glass of water that you said you're going to have and then you have it, you develop self-trust. So it's, it's bigger than it's healthy to have eight glasses of water. And someone just made that up. I mean, some, <laughs> some days you need more. Some days you might need less. Who knows, really? But you listen to your body because your body does. Your body, not my body. So mine might need other types. So the self-care end of things to me is so foundational. It's, it's the beginning. It's easy. It's manageable. It's measurable. Oh, I like fresh flowers. It's also an opportunity and permission to actually do these things. Put them in your calendar, put a reminder on your phone, make it practical. I like to go for walks. Are you going for walks? Go for walks. It's like the most easy thing, but to actually begin making those self-commitments and whether you do them or not, loving yourself anyways, noticing why you don't, and then acting or not acting. That's a bit of a dance. But just starting small and doing three to five things, small, will start to create a life of more self-trust and confidence because when you can tune into yourself, you won't be so freaked out about the world out there. Mm. Yeah, that's big. It yeah. Also, it, it, it also, it, it makes me think that almost any act done with intention can be an act of self-care. 
Absolutely. from going to that walk, from um, a creative pursuit. You know, I can relate to that with my photography, where if I haven't gone out and taken pictures um, for a period of time, I miss it. And then when I do, there's nothing that brings me quite that type of satisfaction. So photography, my creative love is an act of self-care when you look at it that way. Absolutely. Yes. But if I'm running around taking the pictures because, oh, it's been so long and I really should, and I go out and I think it's going to be great. And then it's crap because (laughs) this, that, and the other thing, that's the opposite. That's the opposite. That's shooting all over yourself. You know, that the popular (laughs) motivational speak, (laughs) but yes, feeding your spirit, feeding your body, feeding your mind, feeding your relationships that matter to you. I love giggling with my girlfriends, but I will give them a call. Like that's self-care as well. Our relationships that matter to us. And are we feeding that? It's, it's feeding the things that matter to us because a lot of the other stuff that we think matters when we get really intentional about what actually does matter, the, the other stuff falls away. It really does. Why do people falter when it comes to self-care? I think they have so much self-judgment and of what they think they should do. And they're so afraid. We are human beings will seek pleasure and run away from pain. The self-judgment that we have of whether we do it or not hurts. So it's better to just not start the exercise program because you know you're going to fail anyways. And so there's all of this inner dialogue that goes on and emotional intensity that goes on when we judge ourselves for doing something or not doing something. And then even if we do a little bit, we didn't do enough. So we need to stop beating ourselves up and decide what our bare minimum is. Some water, sleeping an extra hour, uh, reading a sentence in a book. If you like reading, reading a paragraph, start small and then build from there. And if we can allow ourselves the permission to not have it look a certain way and just, you know, decide and commit and decide and commit and decide and commit and there's no wrong, that will change everything because people I, I see it all the time. I go through the well-being checklist. I'm like, oh, so did you do that? And you see people just tighten up and they're like, well, no. And I did it in my head. And I'm not your school teacher. I'm not going to get you in trouble. I'm not going to send you to the principal's office. So we need, to, we need to emancipate our own thinking from the school system and from you do it or you don't. You get an A or you don't. It's like, no, this is you. This is your life. You get to write it. You get to decide. You get to decide what goes on your self-care list. Not Oprah, not Dr. Oz you decide. And you do it with, um, when I'm talking about this with people, it's about letting go of the judgment around it. Actually, counterintuitively, creates more space for people to take the action because then they're not as caught up in in being perfection or meditate. Like meditating twice a week is better than meditating never. You know, so if someone says, I'm going to now start meditating seven days a week, every day, I will often say, uh, no, no, you're not. (laughs) Because although that sounds like the easiest thing in the world to do, it's not. And it's about, you know, incremental changes over time in a consistent direction. It's about being gentle Mm -hmm. and kind. And these, these sort of qualities that we also think are weak and they're not, they're inviting 
they, they actually are the breeding ground, that nourishing soil for the new habits. Because we're just like big kids. You know, you, you, you frame something to a little kid and you're like, and then we're going to go do this. And then we're going to do this. And like, it's okay if you fall, we don't do that to ourselves. Oh, you, you should have, and you didn't, and you didn't, and blah, blah. And that's because this happened and it's just mean <laughs> and not gentle and not kind and developing small steps. I've been, I even put that on people's list, self-acknowledgement and being gentle with yourself is always on the list of things to do for self-care because we've learned to be so harsh with ourselves as a way mm-hmm. to motivate. And I, I was a personal trainer for seven years and I had a lot of clients come to me because I motivated from inspiration and they wanted to feel good and feel good about themselves and then do the action. And I didn't realize what I was doing at the time, but the whole oh, you did it. And then the, um, that just drill sergeant attitude scares the bejeebers out of a lot of people and then they just don't do anything. So this, this kind self-talk is such a great habit to start. I would say almost, so that's the most paramount self-care tip I would give to listeners right now. Heart breathing and, and gentle self-talk. Like, and noticing when you are harsh with yourself but that would be where I would do heart breathing and then go, what do I really need right now? Or what am I feeling right now? Because that will change everything for you. I can guarantee that. It won't always be easy, but that beginning step of going, why am I being so harsh with myself right now? Mm. It's, it's about learning to really, at its core, I believe, learning to be compassionate towards oneself. Because we want to, there's probably not a listener on here that doesn't want to be or perceive themselves to be a compassionate person. Yeah. And yet we can't truly be compassionate towards others until we can be compassionate towards ourselves. Absolutely. So self-care framed that way is an act of self-compassion. Yeah. And then we have more to bring to the well for everybody else. Filling, giving from overflow is so key because you can be a big hearted person. And I get these people all the time, the depleted givers, right? They do amazing things and set up nonprofits and they are amazing people and they are empty. They are empty because they didn't learn this. We all need to learn this. Like I would love those people that feel like I am on empty. I don't have time to meditate. No, 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 no. You got to fill up, mm-hmm. fill up, fill up. There's a whole conversation just waiting to be had about um, boundaries and (laughs) what you have to say no to in order to be able to do that if you're in that state. Can you give us something something concise or if someone were just starting, how they can start to shift that? Uh, Yeah, going from overgiving to having some boundaries... I would start a journaling practice of getting clear of your own voice first mm. because, oh, that hurt that I was angry at that. The beginning of that, the anger is the indication that there's been something off. Someone mm-hmm. standing too close to you and kind of irks you. That's the same thing. So that first step of, of journaling will, will, will indicate because most people are so disconnected, they won't even know where to set the boundary but you'd write and you get clear with yourself first 
And then honestly, I would hire a coach because it's so hard <laughs> to, when I do that, I go through not, not even me or Laura, just, it just, or a really respected friend or a chaplain or mentor of some sort and say, I'm a, a trusted friend who would be great. Oh, how would I say this conversation? Can I try it out on you? And before we start having these difficult conversations, I would be again, gentle and, and start slow and start with the page and start with your own voice and get clear on what that even looks like and feels like and permission to write it on the page and take up space. That'd be my other thing. Take up space, try writing it on the whole, like one sentence on an entire piece of paper can be very liberating. Just take up that space because the boundaries is you not being able to take up space. Okay. 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 It's like, no, what, like what, what, what space do you want to take up? And you're allowed, you're allowed to. So I would start slow. I would be gentle again and be okay with people being uncomfortable because sometimes your inner intelligence saying no is their invitation to their best self. So when you're overgiving, you're actually taking that best experience from the other person because they don't want imbalance either. Nature doesn't, nature's balance. So when we keep enabling bad behavior and, and taking the brunt of things and not giving to ourselves, we're not helping the other people either anyways. No, because we're not taking responsibility for our mm-hmm. own well-being. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not their responsibility to, to have that in their mind. That, took, yeah. that was huge for me to understand that any relationship, any transaction, any interaction, each person's responsibility is to themselves. Yeah. And, and that's okay. That's not a, yeah. that's not selfish. That's not the same thing as being a narcissist. No. That is about um, navigating the world in the way that is truest for you. Talk mm-hmm. about the free your inner guru paradigm. Oh, that That it. is yep. it. And so if you know that, that gives you, you, you're giving yourself permission, you're giving them permission to have their responsibility be to themselves as well. Yes. So you're taking care of yourself, they're taking care of themselves and their needs, and then you determine based on obviously empirical data and, and money if it's in the business realm, but also intuitively how it feels. And this is the practice and the time and time again, because a lot of this stuff is unconscious to us until we learn how to tap in to that inner wisdom, to that inner guru. Exactly. Yeah. Those little micro steps that we mentioned on this show are the beginnings of a bigger unraveling and emerging that is possible for us all to take responsibility and then beautifully in that responsibility, even when it's hard, even when people don't like you, even when people push back, but secretly are saying thank you for being connected to your inner guru. Absolutely. And that's what we should wish for ourselves and wish for others. Yes. So even when other people set boundaries, you got to go be with that. (laughs) So it goes both ways. (laughs) And realize, and go, wow, that was great. Yeah. (laughs) Might not feel. Calling me on my stuff. Because when you go and sit and you do the heart breathing again and you sit and you journal and you be with yourself, you go, oh, you know what? I was being a dink. (laughs) I was being a dink. I was asking for a discount. I was asking too much. Oh no, can we meet an hour earlier even though you've already committed to something? Like when you're being sneaky and snaky and someone calls you on it, you're secretly thankful. They're doing you a favor. 
Yes. Because it wasn't going to turn out how you were hoping in the first no, place. <laughs> it's in balance. So we want to create that new paradigm and it starts with the self-care and it starts with the going within in order to go out into the world. Jenna, thank you very much for being here. What a wide sweeping conversation, everything from self-care to ma- masculine and feminine energy, shamanism, ontological coaching. I've enjoyed the conversation immensely and would love to have you back at some point in the future. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I know you have a choice where you receive your inspiration and information. If you would like to have more information about any of the resources mentioned in this program, including Jenna's You Are the Manual online program, you'll find links to her website in the show notes. If these ideas and stories on the Free Your Inner Guru podcast resonate with you, I'd be grateful if you would take a few extra seconds for two quick things. First, if there's an idea or story that you know would make a difference in someone else's life, follow the link in the show notes back to our website where you can easily share it with them. And two, subscribe so that you can be part of the ongoing conversation on whatever app or website you're listening on. Big conversations become the catalyst for meaningful change. I'm Laura Tucker, signing off for Free Your Inner Guru.